Let's begin. We're talking about Thanksgiving, this being Thanksgiving week. Holidays are times when we celebrate what truly is important to us. The 4th of July, we celebrate the declaration of our nation's beginnings, the first steps in an experiment in personal liberty, in personal freedoms. And we think it's important enough, so we mark it with a holiday. We do the same things with the accomplishments of great leaders who have been part of our nation's histories. We mark them with a holiday. So we mark Washington's birthday and Lincoln's birthday and Martin Luther King's. And this week we come to a national holiday, Thanksgiving. And because of that, I'm inserting right in the middle of our lesson on interior leisure, a week on gratitude. We're going to talk about gratitude. I'll come back to our previous lesson later. But in the tradition of nations that have existed long before the United States was ever a nation, our own Congress legislated a day to stir up within ourselves the practice of gratitude. Now, what a curious notion. Why would our Congress enjoin us to put energy into stirring up within ourselves gratitude? And for that matter, why would our ancient scriptures, some of which are on the wall, tell us the same, to stir up gratitude within our hearts. Why is it that we are called by the ancients to work toward thanksgiving? Why are we called by the ancients to work toward giving gratitude, being grateful, giving thanks, being thankful? In Ephesians on the wall, it says, always give thanks to God for everything. Colossians, it says, cultivate thankfulness. Psalm, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. And if you were just to put thank into your Bible program or if you went to BibleGateway.com and put an asterisk at the end, so all thanksgiving, all the forms of it would show up, you would see hundreds and hundreds of times when we are enjoined to be thankful people, to be grateful people, to be appreciative people. Why? What's the point? Why are we doing this? In preparation for this morning, I ran across a study that I had uh, read some years ago. It's a study that links gratitude and well-being. It was run by two doctors, one Dr. Michael McCulloch of uh, Southern Methodist University and another one Dr. Robert Edmonds of UC Davis. And both of them found that gratitude plays a significant role in the human being's sense of well-being. What they did first is that they compiled all of the previous research that had been done in a meta-study. So they looked at everybody else's studies on the subject first, and then they did their own individual study. In their study, what they did is they took three groups over an extended period of time, and they had each of these groups do something different. The first group uh, was asked to make as a daily practice a list of all the things that happened in their days that hassled them. The second group was asked at the end of every one of their days to make a list of all the things for which they were grateful. And the third was asked to just keep a log of their days, what happened in the course of your day without any value judgment being put on it at all. Now, the results was that those who, the results were that those who uh, kept the list of things for which they were grateful actually became, over the course of the study, Uh, considerably happier. 
They begin to, according to the things that they would fill out at the end of, of each time marker, they begin to feel more positively about their lives. But it's some interesting things happened as well. They begin to have fewer headaches. They begin to have fewer colds than the control group. They ended up getting sick over the course of the study less frequently than the control groups. They found over the time that this group, interestingly, began to exercise one and a half hours a week more than the other two groups. They found that they were getting more sleep than the control group, and they found that they began to develop high markers in the points of quality of life. Now, in the meta-study part of their, their study, in looking at everybody else's research, they found that those who exercised intentional gratitude became more optimistic. They began to see the world with more enthusiasm. They began to develop more determination in getting things to, to come to be. <clears throat> they became more interested in their own lives and consequently began to invite a broader scope of relationship into their lives. They reported an increase of joy. There was an increased likelihood that these people who were exercising intentional gratitude would go out on a limb to help some other person. They became more social, became more compassionate, they drank less alcohol, and they took fewer aspirins per week. The grateful groups compared to the control groups found that there was an increase in their capacity to think clearly. They became more resilient during tough times. They began to have a higher immune response. They responded less negatively to stress. They lived longer. They had closer family ties, and they experienced deeper satisfaction in their relationships and in their religion. So, what's going on here? What is happening that these people who would intentionally move toward gratitude would find themselves experiencing these blessings accruing to their lives? Well, I believe that what these researchers discovered through double-blind research is what the ancients have tapped into for millennia, and that is this. Stirring up gratitude is an ancient spiritual practice that taps us into the divine life. Saints and sages have told us that in each generation over the course of all of these years that we tap into something abundant in our lives when we are grateful. We tap into something more full and more complete when we are grateful. We find ourselves moving into the rhythms that are born of the divine. However, the ancients also noted that stirring up gratitude is a chore. It requires work on our parts. It's a hassle to get out a pen and to get out a pencil and to write down good things. It's work to create new neural pathways in our brains where previously we had been habitually going to this thought pattern and now to begin to go to a new thought pattern. It's challenging. It's demanding. It's difficult. It's hard work. But when we do the hard work of stirring this gratitude up within ourselves, we become more connected to that which is good. We come, become more connected to that which is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness, the very fruit of the Spirit of the divine. We become more connected to the indwelling presence of God that is in each of us. Our passions are more awakened. Divine moments come, and when they do, we are aware and we capture them. We are alert to bring them to ourselves. 
failing to stir up gratitude, conversely, we find that the opposite becomes true. Now, I've used this as an illustration before. We think of God in images. People have always done that. We think of God as Father, or if you follow what it says in <clears throat> Proverbs and in some of the song, we think of God as Mother, or we think of God as King, or we think of God as Counselor. We think of God oftentimes in personal images, but we know that God is transcendent, that God is beyond those images. God is not those images. Those, those images are just helpful for us to find a dimension of connection to the divine. So we could think of an even broader dimension, and I've suggested this, this uh, image from time to time, and that is thinking of God as a rhythm, that there is a rhythm that moves through the universe, and there is a rhythm that moves through our families, and there is a rhythm that moves through our jobs, and there is a rhythm that moves through our lives. And this rhythm is born of the divine. And this rhythm is constantly at motion, and we make a choice in our days to live in sync with that rhythm or to live out of sync with that rhythm. You know, that's not an easy thing to do. <laughs> we make the decision to find ourselves in that beat, or we find ourselves to work contrary to that beat. Now, one of the reasons to stir up gratitude is that the ancients have discovered that we find our way into that rhythm when we live with a grateful posture to life. And we can be in sync or we can be out of sync, and one of the elements that will help us be in is a, a mindset, a heart set of appreciation. So, one of the reasons that we stir gratitude up with our annual celebrations like we're having this week, or the practices that we would do individually like list-making, or the spiritual practices like journaling or prayer. These thing, the reason that we do these things to stir ourselves up is because there's another human tendency, and that is that gratitude tends to fade over time. It's very easy for us to take for granted the blessings that accrue to us in our lives, to take a full breath of air into lungs that are clear is a great blessing, but how often do we appreciate that blessing? To have warmth when it is cold, to have cool when it is hot, these are great blessings, but how often do we appreciate those blessings? What we tend to do is take them for granted. There's a pattern in the human mind called habituation. And what habituation does is it teaches our brain has, has learned this process of sorting out non-new material. So when something comes in that we have seen before and we've seen before and we've seen before, pretty soon it's not new material. We learn to filter it out. So, for example, it would be very uh, unlikely that you've actually examined the leaves outside the window today because they were there last week and they were there the week before. And even though subtle changes happen through the season, for the most part, our brains are habituated to not even notice that. You probably would not have noticed the color of the walls today had there not been new information, that they would have come in, it would have been a different. You would have just seen the colors and it would have been the same colors that you'd seen week on week on week. And that is our brain tends to filter out new information. Consequently, we don't often think of the things to which we are habituated. And consequently, we don't become grateful for the things that are an ongoing part of our lives. So consequently, gratitude takes an intentional approach. We must stir it up to go against this trait in our brains to filter out non-new information. So we will, say, we will often fail to see 
blessings and great riches that are part of our lives when they are right there in front of us. But when we stir up gratitude, we reframe the perceptions of our lives. And this allows us to sense those gentle spirit nudges, whereas before we would have missed them. I read a, uh, a book recently of a college professor who invited his students every term to come to a gratitude night. Over the term, each uh, student was asked to keep a log of specific points of appreciation that would come to them over the course of the term. And then on gratitude night, they were to bring those notes that they had been taking through the term, and if possible, they were to bring the person to whom these notes that they had made to themselves of appreciation were uh, intended. And so then in the course of the evening, each one in the class would take turns in a very public forum, standing and reading off their list of points of gratitude, hopefully to the person being there to hear them. Now every year, the professor said, his students rated that evening as the high point of the class. As a matter of fact, most of them said that it was the high point of their college career. Repeatedly, this, the professor noted, students used the word transcendent to describe their experience. Transcendent, beyond human limits. Transcendent, of superior nature, of supreme nature. And the third definition in the dictionary, transcendence, of the deity, transcending the universe, transcending time and space. So here, in the highly secular environment of a college course, a place where very few people would give much attention to the divine, gratitude awakened something that was beyond themselves, something of God, though not named as such, but something of God, something of the divine, something of the spirit of all that is. Now, I mentioned last week that in January, Robin and in the morning and me in the evening, we're going to be starting a contemplation group. And one of the things that we'll be doing in addition to practicing some together and then having some moments of instruction and then having some uh, times of, of learning and following through our practices, one of the things that we'll be doing is keeping uh, an end-of-the-day journal as part of the contemplative practices, three or four, maybe five entries a week that we would put into there some point of examination at the end of the day. Well, what a great opportunity to use that as one of the elements of rehearsing that for which we are grateful at the end of the day. So we don't have much of a vehicle in our society that is built right into our days for expressing gratitude. So something as simple as writing out your prayers or listing those things at day's end becomes important to stir that up within us because if we go through our days doing what has always been done, there is very precious few opportunities where something outside of us will come and goad us on to thinking through that for which we are grateful. So I encourage you to listen to the admonition of the ancients. Stir up gratitude. Demand of yourself to be of a thankful heart and let your thanksgiving be known to God. But because we don't have culturally built-in systems by which to do that on a weekly basis, I encourage you to do something practical. Write a letter that this week, as part of your Thanksgiving celebration, that you would write a letter to someone who has blessed your life. 
Now, if you've got a pen, you should write that down, put it on your hand so you don't forget, this would be good. I'm writing a prescription for you. You do this thing. I promise it'll help you. You write a letter to this person that, that you are thankful for, and you tell them what they have done that has blessed you. And you tell them why it is that you are thankful that they are on this planet. And you do it for them. And you do it for them because it will bless them. But even more than you would do it for them, you would do it for yourself. Because in so doing, what you would do is that you would find your way more closely into the divine rhythm of life. You would find yourself, according to these ancient admonitions, moving your way into the blessings that accrue to us when we are more attentive to the divine. So I have done this before in previous thanksgivings. I have asked people to do this. Many have done that, and they have reported back to me that when they do an overt act of kindness, an overt act of thankfulness and gratefulness, something happens that joy begins to rise in their own hearts, that happiness begins to shoot up, that life satisfaction begins to shoot up. Now, psychologists have suggested a mechanism by which that spiritual uplift happens, and that is this that the reason that gratitude increases life satisfaction is because it amplifies our good memories about the past. Those memories become more intense, and they become revisited, and they become more frequent. And so consequently, we put into ourselves more of that which is positive. When we are grateful, positive thoughts flit through our consciousness about the good things in life. We give our attention to that which is worthy of life and light and which is good. We give our attention to things we appreciate. We give our attention to significant events that have shaped our lives. We give our attention to significant people who have enriched our lives. We give our attention to these, and positive thoughts begin to inspire within us a deepened sense of contentedness. They strengthen our minds and, interestingly, strengthen our body chemistry. When we move ourselves into this positive framework, something happens in the chemicals within us that give us a very uplifted experience of life. And further, those who are spiritual would say that it helps us get ourselves into a posture of life that captures the wind of God's Spirit when it blows. Now, this stir-up gratitude strategy for satisfaction and fulfillment is in direct contradiction to the prevailing strategy for human fulfillment and satisfaction in our society. Because what is typically prescribed to cure what ails us is consumption. The snake of Genesis 3 is still whispering to Adams and Eves everywhere saying, if you just consume more, then you will be happy. If you just get this one notch up in your lifestyle, well, then you will be happy. If you just get this little bit more stuff, well, surely you will not die. As a matter of fact, you will now have the wisdom that goes with all that is. One more bite out of life, and then it will be good for you. And so that being the dominant strategy that is prescribed to cure what ails us, we've been at it, and we've been at it with great earnest. So in the last 50 years in the United States, we have doubled our household incomes. Largely, we've done that by the addition of wives and mothers going into the workplace, but our, our disposable income has doubled. We've doubled the ratio of, ratios of automobiles to people. 
We've doubled the frequency with which we eat out. We have uh, at least quadrupled the options available to us to entertain and to amuse ourselves. And consistently, time after time, studies tell us again and again that our happiness has diminished in the last 50 years. Now, according to that same author, Seligman, who wrote uh, Authentic Happiness, three out of four of the happiest people on the earth are not rich. Using a scale where seven is maximum happiness, the richest Americans in Forbes magazine come in second at 5.8, where they are tied with the Pennsylvania Amish. The closely behind them at 5.7 are the Maasai of East Africa who have no electricity, who have no water, who have huts that are made out of dung. (laughs) The happiest of of all are the Inuits of Greenland who don't even have warm weather. (laughs) So it's clear that when it comes to human fulfillment, our society's instincts have betrayed us because our instinct is to be fulfilled. You just move a little further up on your career chart. You get a little more happy by getting a little more stuff, and it isn't working Whereas the ancients would tell us you can find your way into happiness by intentionally stirring up a posture of gratitude. So this Catholic philosopher, his name is Joseph Piper, who writes extensively on virtues. It's a little hard to get through, but he's a great author. You should read that. He says this, Happiness is indeed to be had from things, but only things that are contemplated or appreciated. Listen to that again. Happiness is indeed to be had from things, but only things that are contemplated or appreciated. The pursuit of more things to the point where we gain the whole world distracts one from contemplating or appreciating what one already has and therefore guarantees that one lacks happiness. Think about it this way. How many business people do you know who spend very much time at all contemplating and savoring their loyal and their happy customers? That's just not the way we think. We don't savor our loyal and happy customers. The average business person forgets all about his or her current customers moving right on to some form of abstraction, and that is market share. Who are the people out there that I don't yet have? Let me focus on them as opposed to savoring and enjoying those that we do. Well, this is the way that our society speaks to us. This is the whole strategy that our society sells to us. We have people who spend all of their time making sure that you're dissatisfied with what you have so that you will go out and get what they have. So in the face of this prevailing illusion that consumption will somehow make us happier, gratitude becomes an act of defiance. It becomes an act of civil disobedience. Gratitude rebels against the advertisement that tells us to stop being happy with what we have and go get something else, something more. Gratitude rebels against the posture that tells us not to appreciate what we already have, to not be satisfied, to not be content with what we have, and move on to what we do not have. We have a whole industry that sells us in films that this is what a marriage should look like. This is what you would be happy if you had sexual fulfillment. This is what a good family would look like. This is what a good social network would would look like. And you should be unhappy until you have this. This is the kind of car that would make you happy. This is the kind of computer that would make you happy. This is the kind of zip code that would make you happy. And you should be discontent until you have it. Gratitude is an exercise 
of, incontent, of contentment that goes directly in the face of a tide of dissatisfaction that is being pushed upon us for the purpose of selling us stuff. Contentment produces fulfillment. Gratitude and contentment bond us to the very heart of God. There was a woman who came to Jesus with what was probably her life nest egg in a bottle of rare perfume. And she pours it on his feet and she washes his feet in gratitude. Now hers was a deep passion, a passion for life that was ignited from somewhere deep, deep within her at the mysterious place inside of us where our deepest passions come from, the place where falling in love comes from, the place where love for our children comes from, the place where our life passion and our life calling and our life vocation comes from, those deep, deep parts of it, it was from there that sprung up this heart of gratitude toward Jesus, overwhelmed with God's kindness, overwhelmed with the tenderness that was expressed in the life of Jesus, overwhelmed with the merit and wonders of forgiveness. Now, for other people, this deep passion erupts when the Holy Spirit would deliver them from some great oppression or some point of burden or some stuck point in their souls. For others still, there would come a time when we know the truth and the truth sets us free. And in that moment of insight and understanding, there wells up this depth of gratitude. For all of us, passion erupts. This gratitude erupts when once we were blind, but now we see. And we're all deeply grateful when we come to God, when we are weary and we find true rest. But habituation, as I mentioned, and forgetfulness being what they are, this kind of gratitude must be stirred or we will not live it. It must be acted upon. We must develop rituals and practices that will stoke the mindset of thankfulness. I read a story this week about a man who would not allow himself to go a week without a significant form of saying thank you. His name was Eddie Rickenbacker. And he was uh, born in the 1890s, and he lived until, I think, 1973. So he lived through much of what the, the major events that happened in the 20th century. He was uh, one of the first pilots in World War I. He became a fighter ace during World War I. He was a B-17 uh, bomber pilot in World War II. He won the Medal of Honor. He became a race car driver. He became an automotive designer. He was a government consultant. And in the later parts of his life, after the war, he had a weekly ritual that people observed and wrote about. Because he was a notable person, what he did was noted. And he would go down to the pier near where he lived every Friday, and he would feed shrimp by the buckets full to the seagulls who were at the end of the pier. In 1942, Rickenbacker was uh, the captain of a B-17 crew that ran out of fuel and crashed into the ocean. And for eight days, they were in a lifeboat until their rations ran out. And with, at the, after the rations ran out, it was clear that they were far, far from land, over hundreds of miles, and their chances for survival were dim. So they had a prayer service among themselves, basically preparing themselves for the inevitable. And after the prayer service, a seagull miraculously landed 
on Rickenbacker's head. <laughs> and so they caught the bird, they ate the meat, and they used the intestines for bait, and they survived. Their lives were saved by a seagull hundreds of miles from where he should have been, hundreds of miles from land. And so every Friday, Rickenbacker would slowly walk down to the end of the pier, and he would stand, and he would wait, and the excited birds would gather for their weekly ritual, and he would feed shrimp to the seagulls for half an hour until his bucket was empty. After the food was gone, several observed, the birds would linger as if they were attracted to more than just the food. People would see birds perching on his hat, walking with him back and forth on the pier, as though they were sharing a moment together. But for him, it was more than a moment. It was a ritual to stir up gratitude, a ritual to serve up thanksgiving within his own being. We need those rituals. We need those practices. We need those habits built into our life so that we don't lose the posture of gratitude. All kinds of benefits that I've just outlined will accrue to us if we take on the posture of gratitude, but we will not take on the posture of gratitude without rituals and practices that will bring them into our beings. So, I've suggested that you write a letter. And I'm going to suggest also that as you're writing that letter, you begin to think to yourself, what will I do in 2009? What will my habits be? What will my practices be? How can I develop something that says to me, I am grateful? How will I come to the place where I appreciate a lung full of air? How will I appreciate shoes that keep my feet warm? How will I appreciate that which I have? Now, there's a big opportunity coming up this week. But if you're like most people, the busyness of our current lifestyles has squeezed the thankfulness out of Thanksgiving. Most of us will be focused a tremendous amount of energy, focusing a tremendous amount of energy on getting the mashed potatoes on the table, getting the turkey cooked, making sure that it's cooked the right way, making sure that the people arrive, making sure that we get in the car and get to wherever we're going. There's a lot of stuff that goes on around the day that is coming this Thursday. And so consequently, in the doing of that stuff, the reason that Congress came and said, this is important, it is important to us as a people to be grateful, it is important for us to stir up gratitude within us, will go uncelebrated. So I encourage you to put a large ritual into your week this week, and I would encourage you to put small rituals into your life as well. Now, many have sat around their Thanksgiving table and asked each person for, to recount something for which they're grateful. That may not be authentic to your family. I know that that's increasingly inauthentic to our family. It may not be the way that works. But there was something, there was something that you can find if you put your mind to it that will stir that up. Now, throughout history, a powerful one has been developing the end-of-the-day journal, like I mentioned earlier. Simpler yet would be to set a monthly calendar reminder that will come up and tell you to write another letter of appreciation. It would not hurt you to write one letter a month in 2009 to someone who has appreciated you, 12 people who will receive gratitude and appreciation from you. Or building a ritual into your regular conversations, perhaps a standing question at dinner time. What happened today in your life that was good? What happened in your life that was good? So I encourage you, stir up gratitude. Waken to the rhythm of the divine. Be grateful. Be thankful. Be appreciative. 
and find your way into the contentedness that comes from gratitude. Lord, stir our hearts into the ancient pathway of gratefulness. Stir our hearts into the ancient pathway of thankfulness. Lord, this week may it be so, and in the year before us, that we would be stirred to the ancient pathway of gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.